scriptures together to the book of Psalms, Psalm 71, in the Pew Bible, page 614. We'll be dealing with the last part of the Lord's Prayer, the, the closing doxology, the words of praise, and then the concluding amen. So we'll be singing a combination of songs in the worship service that have uh, this element of doxology and the element of amen in it as well. So let's read Psalm 71 to get us in that frame of mind. The word of the Lord, Psalm 71, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge, to which I may continually come. You have given me the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent, for my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace may they be covered who seek my hurt. And I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with a lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed, and my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. Praise to page 564, where we have the text for this afternoon, the last elements of the Lord's Prayer, the meaning of which is summarized by the Church in Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 52. We'll focus on question 128 and 129. 
conclusion of the whole catechism itself. Question 128, how do you conclude your prayer? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is, all this we ask of you because as our king, having power over all things, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. And because not we, but your holy name should so receive all glory forever. What does the word amen mean? Amen means it is true and certain. For God has much more certainly heard my prayer than I feel in my heart that I desire this of Him. That's as far as our catechism goes. In response to the preaching, we'll sing from Psalm 71, the stanzas 1, 2, and 3. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we've been working our way through the Lord's Prayer for quite some time now, and we've covered a lot of ground. We've seen how Christ teaches us to enter into prayer as a child speaking to his or her father, our Abba in heaven. God is certainly almighty and holy and awesome, but he's equally tender loving and compassionate as our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then came the six asks, the six petitions. The Lord Jesus teaches us by these petitions our priorities in life. Our first desire should be for our Father's praise. Hallowed be your name. Then for our Father's kingdom and for our Father's will to be done. As we've looked at each of those Carefully, we've seen how very connected they are. They really all belong together. The way for our Father's name to be praised is for His kingship to be recognized and honored and obeyed by all of His creatures everywhere. And the way for God's kingship to be recognized and honored is, the, is when the citizens of His kingdom do His will, just as all the creatures in heaven do His will. And those last three petitions, or asks, ask of God what we need to fulfill the first three petitions. What do we need to obey God's will, to honor His kingship, and to praise His name? Well, we need daily food, drink, shelter, clothing, work, and peace. We also need our sins forgiven. And we need strength to resist falling into temptation into new sins. All six petitions are are geared toward the very essence of human life, the reason we were created, so that by an answer to those six requests, we can live and function fruitfully and fully in every possible way so that our Father's name is exalted and praised and hallowed. So when we come now, in this afternoon's text to the end of the Lord's Prayer, we really, in a sense, are back at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. 
Because what we have here are simply words of praise. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We started by asking God to hallow his name, and before we conclude the prayer, God is answering it. Our first request is already being honored as we ourselves utter his praise, and that's the goal. That's where we're headed, not just in prayer, but also in life. We are headed for a, an entire life which always and in every way praises our God. The Lord is moving us from asking to telling, from requesting needs to declaring God's greatness. So I bring to you this word of the Lord. Father, lead me from petition to praise. We'll see three things. Uh, we'll see what praise does. Praise strengthens, praise loosens, and praise embraces. Well, the Bible is clear that God deserves to be praised and that God, in fact, will be praised. He's going to bring this about. He's going to be praised by all of his creatures, and not just for a, a little while, not just for a day or a week, but continuously unceasingly, or as the Bible is fond of saying it, forever. The praise will come forth forever. Psalm 72 says it this way, Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with the Lord's glory. We sang this in hymn 10, And blessed be his glorious name through all eternity. Amen, so shall it be. And Psalm 106, which we'll sing a little bit later, says much the same. Extol his holy name forever. Let never-ending praise ring out. So the Lord's Prayer in this last section echoes many Scripture passages when it teaches us to declare that to God belongs the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now we're going to go a level deeper and ask why. Why would God do this? Why would God command and encourage the singing of his praises? What is the purpose in giving us the task to praise him? Well, we know, of course, that the motive in God's heart cannot be anything sinful. God has no sin. God cannot be touched by sin. He can't be tempted. We saw that in James a little while ago. The Lord is spotless and perfect in every way. If a human being were asking this, we would raise our eyebrows and be suspicious. If a human being, like someone like Nebuchadnezzar, uh, when he set up his golden statue, if he were to demand praise of all living humans to, toward himself, well, we could then see how wrong that is. For it, it's wrong for a man to raise himself up over other men and make himself superior. Demanding praise from fellow creatures is selfish and arrogant. Just from a human perspective, never mind from God's perspective, because Nebuchadnezzar was robbing God of praise. He put himself in God's place. Exalting a human as great, praising a human as wondrous and amazing... It's totally wrong, for only God is great in himself. Only the Lord is wondrous. Only the Lord is, is amazing as an independent, self-existing being. Only the eternal creator actually fits the description 
of awesome and wondrous and just and holy and gracious and loving and kind and merciful. Humans, to say that of humans is just a joke. It's just flattery. It's not truth. But when we say it of God, it's all true. It's speaking the facts. Just the facts, ma'am. It's all we need. And it's not hyperbole. It's not exaggeration. It's words of truth about the living God who created the heavens and the earth. He really, really is awesome and great. So, we can all acknowledge it's fitting to speak these words to God. But is that all there is as to why the Lord would have us praise Him? Does the Lord need us to praise Him in some way? Does He, he call upon us to give Him these words of praise and exaltation to satisfy some kind of a need? Does God have a need to be worshipped? A need to be adored? Is it true that the Almighty must have worshipers or something inside of Him would feel a lack that there would be something missing, are we praising God for God's benefit? Well, the answer to that has to be no. One of the things we learn in Scripture to praise God for is His oneness, His completeness, His perfection. Think of Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God is a united whole to which nothing can be added or ever needs to be added. He, he is perfection in every way. He's always complete. He's always self-content. The three persons of the Trinity are the one true God. This is Yahweh, who, whose name means I am who I am. I have always existed. I will always exist. And in Him there is nothing out of place. There is nothing missing. There is no shortfall. There is no need whatsoever. To say it plainly, God has no need of anybody or anything. He didn't even need to create the world. There was no itch to be scratched. There was no hankering to be satisfied. Well, that must mean then that the benefit of whatever God does has to be for someone besides himself. If he's supremely content all the time, then what his actions have to bring benefit to someone outside of himself. And that's what we see in the Scriptures. God created the world and He created man to be king beneath Him of the world. And that's for man's benefit. The creature man sprung into existence as the Spirit breathed into him the breath of life so that man could be fit to rule the world for the Lord, in service to the Lord, in close fellowship with the Lord, and in so doing that would bring benefit to the creature, to man. God was sharing himself with his son and daughter, Adam and Eve. God was giving himself to them. And when man rebelled, and God decided to send his son to die on the cross, that was for man's benefit. Jesus died not to satisfy a need inside the Godhead, but to continue to extend the favor of God's fellowship to man. So when God does something or commands something, the purpose always has to be to benefit the creature, not the Creator. For the Creator, in His perfect glory, has zero needs. 
Well, now we bring that concept into the question of praising. When the Lord commands us to praise Him, the benefit for that must go to us, to, to us humans, to creatures. And that brings up the question, well, how, how does that work exactly? How does us singing God's praises bring benefit to you and me? How does exalting the, the strength or the power and the love and the grace and faithfulness of the Lord, how does that help us in some way? Well, it helps us by strengthening our trust and our confidence in this incredible God we have. It's one of those benefits, praise, it's one of those benefits that, that the psalmist leaned on a lot and made use of a lot, like David did in Psalm 71. I'm just going to touch on a few things in that psalm for a few moments. You might want to pull out the Bible if you ha have one close at hand. Psalm 71, it's a, it's a lament. It's a cry to God for help in a time of pressing need. And, and David starts off with petitions, with asks, with requests. He says, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. There's one ask. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. There's another ask. Incline your ear and save me. Another petition. Very similar to the Lord's Prayer, there's an opening address, and then come the requests. But then come the praise. Verse 3. It's sprinkled along the way. It starts in verse 3. For you are my rock and my fortress. As David praises God with this statement, that raises his own confidence level in the Lord. And it's meant to raise our confidence level as well. God is my rock we're meant to take over. God is my fortress, therefore I can run to him and be safe. David does something similar in verse 4. First a petition, then praise. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For, for you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. David voices aloud why he is so sure that the Lord will come through and answer his prayer. The Lord is my hope and my trust, he says. Ever since I was a kid, he's been that for me. Ever since I was a baby in my mother's arms, even before, I have been cared for by this Lord of mine, my covenant God, and so I know that he'll care for me now. David adds praise to his petitions, certainly to glorify God, but at the same time it serves to bolster and strengthen his faith. David is talking himself into a greater strength of trust. Notice that little word for which introduces the words of praise uh, in verses 4 and 5, and which also introduces the doxology of the Lord's Prayer. For, Jesus taught us to pray, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It, you could say because. It's giving a reason. A reason for what? A reason to be confident in all that we've just asked of the Lord. We've asked quite a bit, if you think of the Lord's Prayer. You can pray that God's name be hallowed. You can pray for God's kingdom to come. You can pray for His will to be done. You are able to ask God to give you your daily food and shelter and clothing and job 
and everything you, you need for your body. You can pray for God to forgive your sins and keep you from temptation. Why? Because God owns the kingdom. God owns all the power and God owns all the glory. All authority, all power, all honor, everywhere is owned by God, the God you're praying to. Brothers and sisters, the more you add praise to your prayers, the more you sing the psalms of Scripture and hymns based closely on Scripture, the more confidence you will feel in your God that He's able and willing to give what you're asking. The more you can then say the Amen confession, it really is true. It really is certain. God has heard my prayer. He will answer according to His wisdom. He will do so because of His love and power. A love and power displayed fully in sending Jesus, His Son, to die on the cross for sinners like me. Jesus is the living Amen, isn't He? He's the living confirmation, the living confidence, the living assurance that God in heaven really cares and he really listens, and he's going to do something about our problems. He wouldn't have sent his son to die if he wasn't serious about helping us, if he wasn't determined to do us good. So, brothers and sisters, do you, do you have the practice of singing the psalms and the hymns? A book of praise is a fine tool for that, but there's other avenues. Do you take time to think about and, and to exalt in your songs or in your prayers. Take time in your prayers to exalt your God. Just to spend time praising Him. That might be one of the weakest parts of our prayers. By nature, our focus is naturally on us, and so by, by nature, it's easy to fill our prayers with, with our needs or the needs of our family or, or those uh, close to us. But but spending time praising, you know what that does? It takes the focus off of us. And it puts it squarely on God. It puts the spotlight on the Lord. And when the spotlight is on the Lord, and by our descriptions of His goodness and greatness, we see Him more clearly and more fully for the amazing God that He is, what happens? All our problems, they, be, they become smaller. They start to shrink. Our enemies and those who are against us that we're having troubles with, they become minute. Our hearts grow calm and peaceful, even joyful. For with this wonderful, delightful, magnificent God looking after us, we realize, well, what is there to worry about? What's there to worry about? So, beloved, the best thing you can do for yourself is to learn and practice the art of praising the Lord. Take the words of the Holy Spirit in the 150 Psalms and in other parts of Scripture and pray them back to your Father and discover for yourself how refreshing, how comforting it is for your soul to exalt your God. Such praise will bolster your faith and it will loosen, it will loosen your reliance on others. The praise offered to God is not to be shared with anyone. That is, it's only to be directed toward God. There's only one God, one Lord, one Savior. 
All the praise in Scripture is directed to him alone. It concentrates on him exclusively. David does this regularly also in Psalm 71. He starts in verse 6. My praise is continually of you. Verse 15. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all day. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. Verse 19, your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? The more we praise our Heavenly Father, the more our thoughts and affections concentrate on Him, the more they will loosen off of all other stuff and things in our life. Because we get distracted by stuff, don't we? and things and people and events and goings-on and business interests and so many things. Our interests easily get taken up by worldly pursuits and worldly pleasures, but when we stop and give time and give thought to praying out the praise of our Father or singing from the heart about His steadfast love and mercy and compassion that redirects our focus to where it ought to be, then things like money and influence they won't fool us anymore. They won't fool us into thinking like we've got it made in the shade and everything's good. Psalm 52 teaches us that lesson. I quote from verse 7. See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. That's the, that's the person who trusts in money and influence. But then the psalmist says, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I thank you forever because you have done it. That's where we need to be, beloved. We need to be in that spot where we feel and understand ourselves to be a green olive tree in the house of God, under, flourishing under the steadfast love of this God. We also very easily place our trust in creatures, fellow humans. There are lots of people right now in our country and in the world who are counting on the government to find a cure for all the sickness in our society, everything that's wrong in this world. They look to the government for a cure for poverty, a cure for racism, a cure for the latest virus. Many of our fellow Canadians are putting their trust in political leaders to keep them safe and bring about a, a, a better society. But that's just plain foolishness, isn't it? Neither those leaders nor the government of any land have the power at the end of the day to keep people safe, truly safe. Governments don't have the power to erase greed in the hearts of people. Governments don't have the power to erase poverty. Governments don't have the power to change hearts of hatred to hearts of love. Oh, they might make promises. They make many promises and gestures. They might take a knee to show solidarity, but it's empty rhetoric for the kingdom is not theirs. The power is not to them. The glory is not to any human leader. And they themselves, most of them, have no inclination to go and seek help from the only one who has all the power and the glory and the kingdom. 
If only our leaders would sing Psalm 146, for example, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. But blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. He keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, who sets the prisoners free. You want to know who's going to help the sick society? It's the Lord God. It ain't the leaders in the, in the governing powers. My salvation does not come from Queen's Park or 24 Sussex or the White House or 10 Downing Street. It comes from the Lord my God, the maker of heaven and earth. From the Savior who gave his own life to rescue us. So the more we praise God and identify him for the incredibly unique and powerful and loving and just being that he is, that loosens us, it loosens us from all the false trusts and all the distractions that this sinful world brings, including the biggest distraction, ourselves. Maybe the biggest obstacle to seeing God clearly and trusting the Lord unequivocally, the biggest obstacle is me. I get in the way with my ego, thinking I can do things in my own strength. I get in the way of my pride, with my ideas of what is best and what is not best. But do you know what praising the Lord does? It takes me out of the picture. I set me to the side, and I, I stop talking about me. I only talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Instead of me doing the humble brag, instead of me dropping names and dropping accomplishments so everybody listening knows about my skills and my successes, instead of all that, I simply talk about the Lord and His successes and His skills and His talents and His character. And if I mention myself at all, it's only to show how much the Lord has helped me, how He's been so kind and compassionate to me. Praising the Lord takes me out of myself out of my natural self-centeredness and makes me focus on the Lord. Do you know how uplifting for the soul that is? Just to spend time singing about Him, talking about Him, lifting up His name. You know, to the world, the unbelieving world, that sounds crazy. Sounds like a waste of time, sounds like a chore. But to someone whose heart has been kindled by the Holy Spirit, it's music. It's music to our ears. It's a balm for our troubled hearts. It's unspeakable joy to our souls. For at last we are doing what we were created to do. We're filling that God-shaped hole in our hearts. We're praising and magnifying our God. At last we draw close to Him, even embracing Him by faith through praising. For prayer has a goal. To praise our God. This is, this is really the goal of life. To praise and glorify our Maker. That's why we were created. And that's why the Lord Jesus was sent. To recreate us so that we can be in a position again to praise our Maker. 
all the petitions we ask are meant to service that goal. And you know, one day there will be no more petitions to ask. You ever think about that? No more petitions. The gift of prayer, as we now know it, will be quite different when we get to heaven and later when the Lord comes and takes us to the, to the renewed earth. Now we call out to our Father in prayer by faith, trusting that our Father hears us, but then we will be able to speak to our Father face to face, as it were. In the future, faith is going to turn into sight. And when we arrive on the new earth, there will be no need for asks. No need for the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. We no longer will have sins to contend with or temptation to face, so there will be no need to ask for God's grace in that respect. We no longer will have physical, mental, or emotional weakness, shortcomings, or lack in any way, so we won't need to request the Lord for those things. They will be liberally supplied. And every creature on the new earth will be happily obedient to God's will and honoring to God's kingship. And, and God's kingship itself will be universally recognized without an enemy in sight. So the name of the Lord will be hallowed day and night and adored by all creatures. So we won't need to pray for God's name to be hallowed because it'll be, it'll be done. It'll be ongoing all the time. Well, what will be left then? What will occupy our attention and our time? The only answer, brothers and sisters, can be God Himself. At the end of our prayer, we meet God. At the end of all our prayers, at the, after the last prayer has been prayed and we, we breathe our last on this earth, or the Lord Jesus comes back, we will find ourselves in the company of our faithful Father, together with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Just like at the beginning of creation, only then in the future it will be richer and fuller. Oh, there may very well be new tasks to do on this new earth, a new service to render in caring for that earth. But whatever God has in store for us then, one thing is absolutely sure, we will do all that we do in the fullness of companionship with God, in the, the fullness of friendship and fellowship with our covenant God. Our eternal duty and our eternal pleasure will be to praise and magnify our gracious God. That is true. That is certain, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Amen, amen, so shall it be. Amen.